another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Listen, man, for the last two weeks, all I've wanted to do is talk basketball, break down the NBA draft, break down the start of free agency, all the rumors flying around, potentially Kevin Durant on the move, Rudy Gobert actually on the move. So much happening, yet you are the busiest man in America. We are not able to nail you down for a time to record. You know, I'm surprised we even got it in the month of July. I thought you were going to come back to me in September and just say, "Hey, we'll we'll, we'll talk about the roster as it as it as they stand back then." Or maybe you were just buried watching uh, Ke- Keegan Murray film. Either way, I'm glad we're finally we're finally recording this. Yeah, yeah, you're one to talk. You know, last week you were the one difficult to get a hold of, and and all kinds of galvanizing around Chicago that you were doing. So, I, I think you know shy. both of us. Yeah, and you know what's good? We waited this long because. I was ready to record right after the draft, ready to just, you know, go on my rant about Keegan Murray. And now I think he might be, you know, all NBA in two years. So it's it's good we waited. Let's just say that. Well, there is so much uh, to talk about. I I would start by saying when you, me, and Mohit recorded two weeks ago, I foolishly predicted a 0% chance of Kyrie Irving playing in another uniform besides the Brooklyn Nets next year. And since then, uh, that roster has absolutely imploded. It's the third straight franchise that he's taken a blowtorch to. Um, there's so many angles to this. I think the first place to start is with Kevin Durant, who is obviously, you know, maybe the best player in the world, or at least one of the top five. Um, after Kyrie Irving opted into his $36.9 million player option, you know, I think Durant was pissed that he, he wasn't getting the max deal that he was so quote unquote promised at some point in time. And so he demanded out. Now this saga plays out. He has four years, 192 million left on this contract. So it's really unprecedented beyond anything we've seen for a player who is healthy, a player who is active to, to with this much money left, this many years left to ask out. But what was your takeaway when you saw this transpire? And did you like me, foolishly think that Kyrie opting in meant we're kicking the can down the road at least one year before the drama was going to really unfold. We'll get to Kyrie. I still think it's he's staying, and I, I haven't wavered from that. I never thought he would actually get moved. This is all a big leverage play. Okay. That being said, starting with Durant, I first of all, it's it, it, the first feeling was here we go again because in 2016 – there was talk of him, obviously, you know, going somewhere else, signing somewhere else. But when the Warriors rumors came up, everyone was like, no way he's going to do this. No way he's going to do this. And we're back in the same situation where, once again, Phoenix, Miami were the top locations. It's not clear what he wants. He wants to be paired with other stars. But at the same time, you know, he wants to get traded, which means that Brooklyn is going to have to net some kind of return. And they're demanding a lot. And I just don't think he knows what he wants anymore, man. Like, this is a guy who, at one point, okay, the Warriors situation, he wants to win. He wants to be in a great basketball fit. Wasn't happy with that. You get to play with your buddy. get to have your own team in Brooklyn. Not happy with that. I just feel like this guy, he doesn't know what he wants, and he's going to constantly keep seeking it. Is, is that in Phoenix? I don't think so. Is that in New Orleans? And it's just, it's a shame because I think the last couple of years, the, the attitude towards Durant started turning. Like even me, and for a long time, Durant hater, started appreciating how good he was and that series against the Bucks and just the night-to-night basis like of what he could do. But now the conversation has shifted back to, oh, look at what this guy's doing, no competitive edge. And 
it's a shame because I think he was actually getting away from that narrative. So to me, that that's the biggest takeaway. It's like he doesn't know what he wants, but his perception once again is returning to that 2016 time frame. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that what he and Kyrie have have sort of put on has turned the NBA from this like, oh, it's so fun when we have player movement to this has actually become pro wrestling and it's a sham and it's like not even enjoyable anymore to watch these guys whine and pout their way out of situations that they have also directed themselves into and called all the shots in. So on that standpoint, I think, you're right in that KD doesn't know what he wants and he doesn't know what's going to bring him contentment. He's talked about the rings in Golden State not doing that for him. Uh, maybe he thought doing so in Brooklyn would have created that legacy, and but in fact, it's gone the entire opposite way. Some of that is his fault, some of that not. Um, he did chase Kenny Atkinson out of town. He did force them to sign DeAndre Jordan and start him over Jared Allen. He did push his way for the James Harden trade and to all those assets to go versus staying with the balanced roster. But, you know, he didn't know that Harden's hamstring was going to implode and Giannis was going to step on Kyrie's ankle. And then there was a vaccine mandate that was going to come into play. So it's a little bit of both. But ultimately, you got to think about it as like I've never seen a star of his caliber act the way he does and really like create this type of circus that he's created for the last few years, whether it was leaving Golden State that 2019 season whether it's been the entire time in Brooklyn, really. And it's weird, man. Like, this is the weirdest superstar career I think we've seen since maybe, like, I don't know, Moses Malone, who started at the Virginia Squires in the ABA and was, like, bouncing all over the place. Like, this is the oddest situation in in, in the modern NBA for sure. Like, I've never seen a player, like, be this good and this aimless at the same time. And... What that leads to is Brooklyn's looking at it like, wait a second, you have four fully guaranteed years left, no player options, no no trade clauses. Why are we moving you? Like, I, I, I guess I just don't understand why they would even acquiesce like this request. Is this strictly about like what player perception is going to be? Because ultimately, is that worth moving Durant for 75 cents on the dollar for a trade you don't even like when you have no control of your picks for the next five years? Yeah, I, I don't understand why the Nets would even entertain it, especially because I think what's unique about the Durant situation is the team has done everything to cater to him. Like you said, they jettisoned Kenny Atkinson. They brought in Nash. They signed Kyrie. They brought in DeAndre Jordan. They traded all the picks for Harden. Like This is a team that clearly went all in for KD. And I don't, you know, most superstars, when they do leave, you can blame the infrastructure. You can blame the organization decisions. I still think we forget this is a team that two years ago or a year and a half ago, I don't know, time has been weird since the bubble season. They were, when they were healthy, when Harden, Kyrie, and Katie were on the floor, they were unstoppable. Unstoppable, yeah. Um, and and you know what? They could still be unstoppable, especially with some of the, the pieces they still have today or that they've brought in. And I, I think for the Nets, at some point, you're right. It's like the the reason that they want to acquiesce and like follow a, a superstar's demands is because of look they don't want other players to to see that they're doing KD wrong they want to make good with all the agents around the league but at the same time i think that what they've done over the last 4 years has shown that and they should have more leverage in this situation than people are acting like they do so yeah. i absolutely agree I, I think this is they should play chicken with them 
And I know something that we've talked about a lot is that Katie's not the guy to sit out. This guy loves hooping. He's love, yeah, he's not, he'll he's complain, not but he'll out. play. So, And he's also not going to do what Harden did where he's going to loaf on the court and throw the ball away. That's just not in his M.O. Yeah. Um, how much of this do you think has to do with the fact that the Nets, even though they play in New York City, are like very much not a preeminent NBA franchise? Like They're almost on borrowed time, and they've been largely one of the worst franchises in the, in the NBA over the last 30, 40 years besides the Jason Kidd run. They really haven't had anything of note uh, go their way. How much of it is like if this was the Lakers, if this was the Heat, if this was the Celtics, you could play chicken in a more meaningful way without worrying about what this would do to damage your league-wide perception? You know, it's a good question. I don't I don't think it would matter because we see right now the Lakers franchise, you know, some people would argue they're being held hostage by clutch uh, in a lot of yeah. ways. How'd you uh, come up with that? There's no yeah. way. I don't see any... <laughs> I don't see any evidence of that. Um, the Knicks clearly are in a bit of a disarray still. And so I I think to your point earlier, this has more to do with player empowerment, players, what they wield today. And it's it's just frustrating to see it from Durant. Because like Harden, I, you know, and, and Kyrie, these guys are different. But Durant is a hooper. He got himself into the situation he wanted. It is still a talented team. It is a still a team that can compete. And for him to just ditch it that quickly and want to go to Phoenix or Miami and these other good teams, like, dude, you're not – yes, maybe, obviously, you're going to be much better placed basketball-wise if you're on Phoenix, but not if you trade Aiden, if they trade Aiden, Bridges, and maybe, you know, a couple of – Cam Johnson or someone else. Like, so at the same time, I don't know what he's looking for. Is he just trying to win at all costs? Is he trying to play with a certain group of guys? It's not clear. Yeah, and like I think we maybe we we get to Kyrie. I mean, this really started because they didn't take care of Kyrie how they I guess had at some point committed to uh, with all the vax mandate stuff, with all the last couple of years of just like the general confusing availability, unavailability, and Kyrie saying and doing weird things and being exactly who we kind of thought he was. They were like, I don't know that, you know, one random great game every few is worth what we have to put up for this, especially when we just got swept in round one. Um, and he looked particularly bad in three of those four games. I want to blame, I want to get to Kyrie and all the, <laughs> all the like sort of involvement he has here, but I actually put a good amount of blame on Sean Marks and Joe Sai here as well. They basically enabled these two to do whatever they wanted for three years. They signed them when Katie was not even going to play that first year. They destroyed the previous infrastructure, which, again, you do 10 times out of 10 when you have Ky- uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant willing to sign with you. But they went all the way up to it till now they decide to put their foot down and wonder why they're, these players are acting like petulant child children. It's like if you gave your kid every, you know, video game they ever asked for every time they ever wanted candy you let them eat and then the one time you're at GameStop they're like you're like no and you're like why is this kid throwing a temper tantrum in the middle of the mall it's like huh I wonder why that would be you know and it's like the same thing here where it's like you can't go out of your way to literally give them full autonomy of this roster and of the organization and then just stop halfway in the middle or you can, right? You maybe you learned your error of your ways, but you have to accept that these are the consequences. These are, this isn't Steph Curry and Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? These aren't the kind of guys you're dealing with. That's just a sad reality of it. So to me, I think they absolutely deserve blame because they had this golden egg 
and they fucked it up. And like, yeah, it wasn't all their fault, but they certainly played a lot of cards wrong in this empowerment era. Uh, you know, almost like aiding that even further than it needed to be. And that almost anywhere we've seen around the league. You nailed it on the head. Like That analogy is perfect because ultimately the opposite of this situation is what the heat did with LeBron uh, and coach Spo LeBron clearly didn't like him. It's not been confirmed, but a lot of rumors that LeBron wanted him out and Pat Riley said no. And I think the moment you don't set that tone right up front, you've lost control of this team. Right. And with volatile personalities like Kyrie Irving, you were just asking for trouble. Like the Nets did have bad luck. Let's face it. Like the pandemic messed things up with the vaccination requirements and all of that definitely had played a part because you could argue if they didn't have to deal with that, Harden might still be on the team. He's less frustrated with Kyrie. And we just avoid the situation altogether. But at the same yeah. time, there is some culpability. And and Joe Sy and Sean Marks, this is another issue when you have with an owner like Joe Sy, who's the kind of owner who get involved. He's not consistently involved, like maybe a Mark Cuban, but will choose to get involved at certain points and may feel very strongly about some things that don't that conflict with the way Sean Marks wants to run the team. Yeah. And it's not always clear who's driving some of these decisions whether it really is what Sean Marks wants to do or whether Joe Sy is kind of enforcing it. And we see this with many owners across the league. Yeah, um, I mean, and you also think, like, Joe Sy is a fairly new owner, right? He's come in in the last five, six years. Like, he is of about as powerful in the grand scheme of the global economy as almost any owner currently, right? When you think about his current position, not just talking about wealth. Like, a guy like Steve Ballmer sits on a lot of wealth because of his Microsoft stock, but... He's not playing an active role, definitely not in Microsoft, but in other ventures, the way Joe Tsai is playing a role in pretty much China's preeminent marketplace, right, with Alibaba. And so it's like this dude is not just powerful by nature of his, you know, the way he's developed his wealth. He's currently powerful, and he's probably looking at it like, I'm very confused about why I'm sitting at a negotiating table for the first time in who knows how long and not having the upper hand. And he's got to recognize this is the way the NBA works. You know, it's not just about your checkbook. It's about the draw of the players and the quality of the players. Because, you know, you and I know Kevin Durant is 10 times more important than a max player on another team because everybody gets paid the same, but he's that much better, right? So you just don't get 10 Kevin Durants if you want them. So it's a lot of lessons learned around the board, which, you know, brings us to Kyrie. Um I have so many problems with Kyrie that I think I've voiced over the years. Um, originally, it was a bit of envy because people were saying he was better than John Wall, and I didn't think that was the case. But then as we actually got into the careers of both players, you know, obviously Kyrie is you know, probably going to make the Hall of Fame, which really makes me frustrated. But he's like Terrell Owens um, in that he's ultra-talented, total malcontent, very difficult to play with, the big difference is T.O. played like every game, every season, and was dominant every time he stepped on the field. Kyrie can be dominant if and when he chooses to show up and if and when he wants to. And I just don't understand, like, I know his reputation around the league is just pristine for whatever reason, no matter what he does. I just don't understand how guys can honestly, not just fans, I'm talking about NBA players, can honestly sit there and say, hey, this is a guy I want to hitch my wagon to. His track record shows me that I can build a championship contender around him. It's never happened. The Lakers, sorry, the Cavaliers making the finals 
the fact that they did it in 2018 with a shamble of a roster that they had after Kyrie, again, threatened to get knee surgery and left, pretty much shows you that he was uh, not along for the ride, but certainly not, you know, the lion's share of responsibility. And so I just look at it like, when is this guy going to run out of chances to prove that he's some type of franchise player when all he does is show us that he can't be and he doesn't want to be? First of all, let's remember that little tidbit you said when we debate Jordan and LeBron for the umpteenth time and talking about the teammates they had because you're right, Kyrie was an overrated second banana. And in the right infrastructure, in the right setting with that 2016 team, that 2017 team, he was great. But clearly this is not a guy who can sustain that same level of play consistently, that same level of success, and be kind of depended on from a team. And you use Terrell Owens. I've got a different wide receiver comp for Kyrie. It's Randy Moss. Mm. The talent is all there. Probably and guess when Randy Moss had his best seasons playing alongside the GOAT, Tom Brady. And when he was in Oakland, you could argue the talent was still there, but a lot of it was just his frustration and not being happy in the situation and not putting out the best output he could have. So... I think they're both good comps, but I, with Kyrie, it's just that when you have that like skill set, it, yeah, it's so tantalizing. And there's 30 teams in the NBA. There's always going to be one team that can think they can take that talent and translate it into winning. There's never going to, like, it doesn't matter if 20 teams think he's he's a head case. There's always going to be one or two. And I think that is the frustrating part because Kyrie is going to continue to get chances because he is an amazing, amazing talent and a talent that can translate to winning at the highest level because he's got the shot creation, the, you know, not playmaking, but at least, you know, yeah, I mean, relatively so decent boxer. And, and it's annoying, man, because this guy clearly is just taking advantage of every situation he's in and he gets continued to get rewarded by it. Like this whole even idea of him going to the Lakers for Westbrook, rewarding Kyrie, rewarding the Lakers by getting them out of that Westbrook contract, even if they have to attach a pick. It's just, I hate it. And it might honestly happen, which is just like, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I don't want to follow the NBA anymore because like the shit is just BS, right? Like it's honest to God BS where it's like, okay, we're just going to like move these pieces around. Like we're playing checkers and none of it matters. And you know, it's like, it's just roulette. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, the 2022 off season is kind of boring because there's not really that many marquee free agents. A lot of the big names like a Bradley Beal or like a Zach Levine, you know, are all expected to re-sign with their current teams. Like Jalen Brunson's the big fish. And it's like Adam Silver had to press the bad signal. He's like, can someone do something? Kyrie, are you on the phone? Like, can you get involved here? And he's like, don't worry, I got this. Like, that's how it feels right now. And then the Lakers report was like, well, actually, they prefer Seth Curry to, <laughs> to um, Joe Harris. It's like, oh, no shit. You'd prefer literally one of the three best shooters in the NBA right now on an incredibly fair contract um you know you mentioned the, the, the tantalizing Kyrie's numbers in in uh Brooklyn are staggering you know just looking at the numbers no context nothing else I know he's missed basically half the games available that he could have played but in the games he's played he's 27 6 and 5 on 49 41 92 across three seasons insane and you look at it and you're like, this is why, like you said, every team will take a shot on him. But 
now it looks like teams are drying up. I mean, Shams is like carrying water so egregiously <laughs> for Kyrie's camp right now. It's really embarrassing. Meanwhile, Woj is coming in clearly from Sean Mark's camp being like, nobody's interested. There are no suitors. I tend to believe Woj because if that was the case and they told him they could, they would trade him, I think they would have found a partner by now. But they looked at it like you did. And it's like, wait, why do why should I take Russell Westbrook's contract back? Like, what's that going to do for me? Um and then I'm sure Dallas did something like here, have Dinwiddie and Bertons. We'll take, you know, Kyrie back. So nothing, nothing that would be worth their time. You mentioned a point of like, if they all just bring it back, right? This team is loaded. Yeah. It is. I mean, they have no weakness. You could argue maybe a third big right, is Let's not necessary. get carried away. All right. <laughs> Are you serious? Look at this team at the guards. You have Kyrie, Seth Curry, Patty Mills undersized but you have ben simmons who can also play point guard at your forward wings you have joe harris royce o'neill they just signed tj warren today at your big slash big wings kevin durant you ever heard of him nick claxton uh cam thomas was another forward i forgot and dayron sharp so you could argue they need another big behind claxton but that team is no rim protection no size, still the same issues. You filled in the offensive gaps, some more sh- more shooting, more shot creation, more a little more playmaking. No size, no rim protection. That's still yeah. going to be a killer. There's guys out there. Who's out there? There's someone out there. They're not done yet. Dude, and, there's and no one do, left. The market is do, pretty much dried up at this point. Maybe the real trade instead of Durant to Phoenix is Kyrie to Phoenix for DeAndre Ayton. That's like Kyrie, Chris Ball, six six foot backcourt, Devin Booker at the three. Um, speaking of trade packages, I think we need to go through some, but a lot of people have started becoming capologists, cap experts. Let me explain the three reasons why a trade with Ferdinand is very very difficult. Right, the one that I think everybody is aware of is this designated player exception uh, situation. Essentially, when you're in year three of your rookie deal, you've completed year three, you're going to year four. If you're rewarded a five-year max extension before your rookie contract expires, you're kind of classified as a designated player. Each team can have two of those. For example, the Nuggets have both Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray on those contracts, Um, but you cannot have two acquired via trade. The Ben Simmons contract that he was given to from Philly is this DPE contract, and therefore the Nets already have the one that they can acquire per trade. The problem becomes if the Nets want a young star, all of them are on these deals because they're obviously awesome and their teams like them. So that includes everyone from De'Aaron Fox to Trey Young to Bam Adebayo. Um, like I just mentioned, the Nuggets guys. So uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of players who are just ineligible unless they move Simmons. Now, if you're the Nets, are you really going to move Simmons for like 10 cents on the dollar for no reason? Maybe not. Problem number two, sign-in trades. A lot of people are talking about Aiton, Bridges, Cam Johnson, picks for KD. Whether or not that that's a good trade for Phoenix basketball-wise, the Nets are so far over the luxury tax right now that they are not able to make a trade that involves a sign-in trade unless they shed a good amount of salary. So... When you execute a sign-in trade, when you sign a player to the mid-level exception, or when you use your bina- biannual exception, you're hard-capped. 
So you cannot spend over the tax apron amount above the luxury tax. So if the luxury tax right now is at 150 million, immediately triggers a hard cap, which means you cannot spend more than 156 million. That's why the um, taxpayer mid-level is available to you. It's basically the amount below the apron. Here's the problem with the Nets cap sheet. They are looking at currently guaranteed 161 million in cap between the eight players on their roster and four cap holds for empty roster spots. Doesn't count the nine and a half coming from Nick Claxton, the seven coming from Pat, Patty Mills, and whatever TJ Warren's going to sign for. So they would have to shed roughly equivalent to $20 million just to execute this kind of trade. All that being said, and then the last piece, the base year compensation. If you use, if you sign a player like DeAndre Ayton, who's coming off a rookie deal and he gets a max, you only get to count half of that salary against what needs to be matched. So with all that being said, do you see a trade materializing? What are some of the ones that you've bounced around as like possible, whether that includes Ben Simmons or not? That was a long spiel, but let's talk actual possibilities if the Nets are going to make a move here. So that, that was a great explanation. Uh, and it's a lot to wrap your head around, right? And it, it automatically, I think so many trades get tossed around where you don't think about some of these consequences. And I mean, the most obvious one is immediately the BAM. And it's like, okay, these guys can't be traded. Or they can't take another player on that uh, rookie contract. Right. I think, I still think Toronto yep. has the best ability to put together a package. Now, how enticing is that package when it's built around Anunobi for sure? Um, is Siakam usually thrown in that deal? I think th- there's yeah, versions of it without Siakam. But to uh, me, if you have Siakam, Anunobi, Barnes, it has to be at least two of the three. And I don't know if they want to part with Barnes. So it'd have to be built around Siakam, Ananobi. And then if you're Brooklyn, you can talk yourself into wings, length. This is a team that, you know, you can kind of build around. It'll keep you competitive. We've already seen the this Raptors iteration stay very competitive uh, yeah. with this roster. I think that's still the most likely scenario. And I think there was a report that Kevin Durant is warming up to Toronto as a destination. Who knows? But to my me, thought I is if I, I think you have to if you're Durant, you can't go there if Siakam leaves. If Siakam and Barnes leave. To me, it's it's gonna be Ananobi, Gary Trent, and like a million picks. But I don't even know if the Nets do that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it without Barnes. I don't but I, I really think the Raptors are, are sold on Barnes. I think yeah. you can get Siakam. Siakam's been floated around, you know, in, in past even though I know he ended up making all NBA and kind of turned around his season last year. Uh, so I think, I still think that's the most likely destination Miami, this whole hero Robinson uh, package, right? Obviously they can't trade bam. Uh, and it's Trash. so, so they, they're not getting it. You already mentioned some of the issues with the Suns, So I, that one gets dicey. And I don't know, like what are the other, like New Orleans has been. New Orleans, New Orleans has to be, I would actually put New Orleans above Toronto because I agree with you that Toronto won't give up Barnes. And so if you go with the assumption that Barnes is not in the deal and it's an N and OB headline package, I like what, really like what New Orleans could do. Um, but I, I, I like, uh, obviously it would be built around Ingram. You're talking about a package around Ingram, right? Ingram, you have Herb Jones. You have Dyson Daniels, who you just drafted. You have 
a absolute war chest of picks between the Anthony Davis trade and the Drew yeah. Holiday trade. And you have all your own picks. So if you wanted to include some of those two, you could do it. That would still leave you CJ McCollum, Kevin Durant, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas on top of, you know, Jose Alvarado and whatever BS you have behind him. That can win a title. And that's a lot. That's a 24-year-old all-star going back. And a ton of promising rookies or second-year players and picks galore. That is the definition of what Brooklyn's looking for. And if I'm Durant, I I would love to do that because you're paired up with another star in Zion, CJ McCollum, a vet. You've got young talent still, and it's a it's a, a market where you can still be the hero. If you if he really, I don't know how much he cares about that. I, clearly, it doesn't matter as much as I thought it would because this is another kind of Q rating killer, right? Just in terms of how he's perceived by the general fans. But you go to New Orleans, no one's going to be opposed to that. Everyone would be rooting for a Zion Durant pairing just from a basketball perspective. Yep. I, I just, but I haven't heard any noise or that much smoke around this New Orleans deal. So that's why I just don't see it for whatever reason. I don't know if it's on New Orleans' side. KD's not interested. This is the other thing not. I was going to complain about. Yeah. Why does KD get to dictate anything about this uh, like situation? This comes back to player empowerment, how you're treating him, blah, blah, blah. Did the Clippers get screwed because they did Blake Griffin dirty? No. Did the Celtics, when they traded Isaiah Thomas? No. Maybe a little bit with Anthony Davis, but he was probably headed to L.A. anyway. Like, this happens, right? And so, to me, with four full-year guaranteed years left, I'm sending him to the absolute best possible deal. So the reason this hasn't been talked about, to your point, is probably because he just doesn't want to go to New Orleans. He doesn't want to go to a small market. The other option is Oklahoma City. And you could send Chet back, who may win all the awards uh, this upcoming season. Oh, I can't wait to talk about Chet later on. <laughs> we'll get to Chet. Let's, let it just be known that both of us ended up, we were confused, but we ended up pro-Chet. Oh, the, 100%. Before the draft. Yeah. We both had Palo one, which maybe we will regret and think of as, I saw a few like Tua over Herbert comparisons before <laughs> literally one day into the season of summer league when Palo hasn't even played but anyway um <laughs> could go to OKC the, the the team I really thought was going to make a play was Minnesota I thought that that package was going to end up being for Durant but I don't think a package for Durant gets off the finish starting point without Anthony Edwards yeah Minnesota still had the issue of they, they they had the picks, but there wasn't an enticing enough asset that they were. It had to be Edwards. It had to be Edwards, which like, which they wouldn't do. The Nets are not taking D'Angelo Russell back in any like that's a negative asset, right? And it had to be Edwards. Towns, it's going to be hard to to make that work, and they wouldn't and do they that wouldn't to Towns after extending him. So, new the the thing with OKC is, I get it. They have the the war chest of picks. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and why do you gather all those picks? It's to make the move like this one. Like, why is Presti sitting on all these picks? But just for, there's no team around him. Like what, SGA? And there'd have to be subsequent moves, right? And I don't know what those would be, but you'd have to get two or three other guys. And I think this point, this late in the 
free agency game. See, the other problem with what Durant did is he blindsided everyone. Now, maybe some teams were preparing for the scenario fine, but I think for the most part, this was not something that teams could kind of gear up for during the year. You know, sometimes when stars make these trade demands early in the season, teams start putting together these packages or, or making roster moves with it in mind. I just feel like this blindsided a lot of teams and then no no one's really constructed to... So even if OKC got Durant, like what team are they building around him this year? I mean, yeah, they don't have enough. And like I don't know what would have to go back, right? Because Chet would probably be in the deal. But if they ask for Chet, SGA, and picks, is that too much? And it certainly... What are you left like with? Lou Dort and Kevin Durant? <laughs> yeah, Lou Dort, Kevin Durant, Josh Giddy, and Poku. Yeah. Um, actually, they should keep Chet so they could start him next to Poku, next to KD. And then just connect arms and then play defense where everybody's <laughs> just like... End to wins. end, yeah, no one yeah. can get past them. Yeah, if they just stood at the three-point line, right, they could probably make their way across most of the court. And then anything you do is a foul. If you run through them, it's a charge. Well, I guess they could throw behind them. But nobody can get past them. So but, the, whole the height offense, also, you got to throw yeah. some high arcing passes. The whole offense that. actually has to be above the three-point line. <laughs> um, the other thing is there's a you know Kendrick Perkins, who I don't know how much we should – stock we should put in anything he says but he mentioned that he thinks this is purely a leverage play he doesn't have any intention to leave but this was entirely just to get um just to get Kyrie a new deal and put pressure on Nets management thoughts on that because that seemed plausible plausible to me that is a common belief definitely plausible but he's starting to, like, why would he want it out there that Phoenix and Miami are his top situations? I don't know. It's also hurting his own. I don't know. Like, I, I get it. Kyrie's his friend. He's looking out for his boy. But to also to just tank his own kind of image in a, in a way and seen as a malcontent, I don't know if it's worth it. So it could be a bit of A, a bit of B, right? It is. Yeah. He, he wants to explore being traded. He'd be okay staying. And he's doing it to, to try to get Kyrie that better deal. So let me ask you, I know you've batted around the idea in your mind of uh, a certain team out in Sacramento putting together a package. Granted that I mentioned Fox is part of this designated player issue, but assuming that that goes away or even hell, put Simmons in your deal, what do you think the Kings could reasonably offer? realistically nothing um <laughs> that's how i feel about the wizards we've basically hit singles on like five straight drafts and so everyone's like okay that player would be like the 11th guy on the bench in a playoff team so that's cool and and it's not only well one issue is the fox issue right because fox i don't care what you think of him he's still a a, a positive asset i think for a rebuilding team and you'd have to build a package on fox which you can't do we, we, we have a bunch of, no one that interesting, like Harrison Barnes. And, you know, you can throw Keegan Murray in there, obviously, as a young prospect. The other issue, though, is we signed Kevin Herter and, or we traded for Kevin Herter, right? And we gave up that first round pick, which has protections on it, which means we can't use it in subsequent trades. So we've kind of capped ourselves, and I think we're comfortable with gutting for 40 wins this year. But for a while, Kings fans did. There was some rumblings about, hey, this is the kind of move that we should absolutely, you know, who cares if Durant wants to be here or not? Pull the trigger and see what happens. 
Speaking of the Kings fans or the Kings gunning for 40 wins, I put together a list today. There are 12 teams in the West that have had an all-star in the last two seasons. We went from one year of the East might be better. The East at the top is more dominant, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward, nets have imploded. You know, Sixers with Harden looked kind of pedestrian. The, the Heat clearly don't have that like top end firepower. And the West is unbelievable. So like, how would you even do this power ranking, dude? Like, I'm just going to throw some teams out. I'm not even going to ask you to power rank them. Just tell me if you would put them in your top six, your play-in, or post-play, or like lottery, right? So like right. Suns. Top six still. Okay. Warriors. Top six. Clippers. Top six. Lakers. Playing. With a healthy AD and Braun? Okay. Um, Rockets. Nah, they're borderline. I want, I want to see. I forgot. Keep going to the teams. They're borderline. Okay. Grizzlies. They were 54 and 28 last year. They were the two seed. Top six. Okay. Nuggets. Top six. Mavericks. Playing. Wow. Western Conference Finals Mavericks. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, playing means seven through ten. Yeah. Jazz. Lottery. Timberwolves. Playing. They were playing last year. They just got way better. Yeah. It's between them and the Lakers for that six spot, honestly. Pelicans. Oh, no. You got to help <laughs> you sign on. Uh, put Pelicans in the top six. Why not? Okay. Blazers. Playing. Spurs. Spurs, Rockets, Thunder, Lottery. Which means Kings Lottery, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Unless you want the Kings in the plane. I, I thought they'd be a plane team, but I think they can squeeze out the Blazers. Isn't this insane, though? It is insane. And you go through and you say, okay, including the Jazz. So everyone in the top 12 has had an All-Star in the last two years. And I just... I don't even understand how this is going to like shake out because you have the Clippers and Nuggets who were basically on a bye week last year coming back full strength. And then you have the Suns who may or may not land Kevin Durant in the midst of all this. But I mean, I think the, what happens is the Wolves and Pelican or Wolves and Grizzlies overachieved. But Wolves, like you said, with Rudy Gobert, at least this regular season, whatever you think about him in the playoffs, they're much better. Agreed. The Grizzlies, I actually think, are a good candidate for regression. Now, I know even without Morant, how good they were. You know, blah, blah, blah. But Triple J is now out. Triple J is out. They lost Kyle Anderson. Uh, you know, and it, and I think there's just some natural regression that they're going to have. John Morant will still be good, but it was kind of a fairy tale season. So I could see them slipping to the play-in, if, if anything. And either the the Lakers may be taking their spot. To me, the Pelicans are the most fascinating team because the way they finished the season 
may just be a fluke. It may just be a hot stretch, but then they also add a guy that we all think is a top 15 player when healthy to the mix. And it's like, we have no idea how this is all going to look. It's the first time he's playing with player of CJ McCollum's stature in the backcourt. He's going to have to share ball handling duties with a lot more guys than when he last played. What's that going to look like? I don't know. Anyway, I digress. I just think the West is like out of control stacked. And like, look, the Kings, by the way, to your credit, they're 10 dudes who can all ball. Like a regular season team, they look solid. They can compete. I have the Kings over the Blazers. Yeah. I would so if too. I had to do this, I think I'd drop. This is going to be wild. I think I might drop the Nuggets to the play-in and move the Timberwolves up. No, I, damn, you knocked the Mavericks out too. I mean, the, the Mavericks are another one of those teams I think overachieved to a certain extent. And this is Luca's MVP turn. Yeah, but they lost Jalen Brunson. Um, and you know, whatever you think of Jalen Brunson, like that's still a significant uh, player for them last year. And and look, defensively they were great. They were elite the second half of the season. At some point, you start to get figured out a little bit. I don't think they're going to be as good this year. I think people are forgetting Tim Hardaway Jr. is coming back. That's true. And I think Christian Wood with Luka on the roll is going to be way better. Yeah. Even though I don't love Christian Wood. He's a stats guy who doesn't seem like he's too interested in what the the final score says. He's more interested in the box score. That's the perception I have of him. Maybe he'll change that, but I don't know. It's empty calories. Right, it's not their offense is going to be clicking. I get it. They've got Hardaway Wood. They can fill in the Brunson gap in terms of points, but I don't know, man. I'm just I'm just saying that's a team that I could see. They could easily be top four, but I, I see them maybe slipping. And Lakers the same thing. Like I don't know what to make of the Lakers. Obviously, if AD is healthy, LeBron is there, playing to the best of his ability. But just given the uncertainty around that roster, the fact that they're probably still going to be stuck with Westbrook. They might still be in that 7-8 range. I like I what know. they've done uh, this offseason. I like Lonnie Walker. A lot of people are like, well, he doesn't play defense. It's like, okay, it's fine. I like um, they just signed Thomas Bryant for the vet men. That's a great pickup low for, for that price. I mean, he's not going to guard anyone, but he's a good offensive punch. Um, who else do they bring in? Damian Jones from the Kings, who didn't even find that much playing time with the Kings. Okay, he's whatever. And Juan Toscano Anderson. Okay, he's whatever also. also. <laughs> it's like, dude, these guys are fine. They're not bad. They're fine. They're better than the corpse of like Trevor Ariza, whoever they were trotting out last year. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo and... Anthony. But So I guess like, none of those guys are coming back? I don't think so. A lot of those were like, short deals anyway, right? No, they're all they're all one year vet mints. But like, I wondered yeah. like maybe they'd bring Dwight back or something. But no, they didn't resign any of those guys for sure. Damn, it might be the end of Melo. I feel like we should have had more advance notice. Yeah, his career just kind of slowly faded away. <laughs> no fanfare. <laughs> Let's talk about Minnesota now because we already pivoted to the West here. Um. So this trade broke on Friday, and my first instant reaction was, oh, wow, they actually kept D'Angelo Russell, who I thought was obviously flawed, but they needed to keep him because they had no way of replacing his point guard play. Then the pick details started coming through. So you have, uh, just to, to recap the trade, it was Patrick Beverly, 
Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Lorenzo Bolmar, Walker Kessler, who was a 2022 first-round pick, so they just took him. He hasn't played for them yet. Unprotected picks in 23, 25, 27. Top five protected in 29. And a pick swap in 26 for Rudy Gobert. Yep. Who is under contract for another four years and making $46 million in 2026 at the age of 34. He's a three-time Defensive Player of the Year, three-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, pretty much considered the best regular season defender in the league and has been for some time to a team desperate for rebounding and rim protection. So I'll start there. Let's talk fit after. What did you think of that package? I, you know, I, I, I'm in the same boat as I think most people. The pick... Picks being unprotected, it's like GM malpractice. And I think the, the, the reason it's bad is because Colbert's 30 years old. It's it's the age that bothers me the most. And he's got a skill set that a lot of people have talked about Colbert. Oh, you know, offensively, Utah didn't utilize him enough. Um, and he might have more to offer on that side of the floor. Uh, defensively, of course, we know the playoff limitations, but every year, anchor. Defensive player of the year candidate, all defensive teams. But that's all he's gone through his prime, it feels like. And it feels like after a year or two, he could fall off the cliff. And we've seen this with seven-footers, with centers. The agility, the mobility, once it starts to slip, your upside on defense is very minimal. And because he is not going to develop an offensive game at this point of his career, he might score a little bit more just in that offense. But that offense also has towns. Edwards, uh, D'Angelo Russell still, he's going to be competing for shots. So I think just from a um, the deal itself, five picks for a player who's not, if you're trading five picks unprotected for a 23-year-old All-NBA player or type of talent, I'm okay with it. To hell with the picks. But this is a guy in two years may not even be playable. And that is a huge, huge risk. I don't care how desperate you are. I know you're Minnesota. As a Kings fan, I know what it means to to get your guy. You have to overpay. But this is this is too much, man. So, um, there was so on Zach Lowe's podcast today. He had uh, John Krasinski. Or yesterday, he had John Krasinski, the athletic um, writer for that covers the Timberwolves, and I think he shared that. Inclusive of 2004, they've won two playoff series both that year in 33 seasons. Um, so literally winning a playoff series is like almost a reason for a parade in Minnesota. That's the state that we're at. It is ridiculous amount of draft equity. Um, there's no two ways about it. Like 30 or not, like if you can't, if you if you can't throw him the ball and say, make something happen, then we need to divide those pick counts by two, two and a half picks, two picks, one on one protected would have been a nice package. I think the problem with protections is you have to, when you do a trade like this, you have to unprotect every pick except the last one unless you have any type of deal where it instantly converts into second rounders because the pick protections roll over. 
And once they roll over, you can't trade picks in consecutive years. That's why you see any of these trades, Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, Paul George, DeJounte Murray. Um, what are the other big pick trades? Like James Harden, they're all unprotected. They have to be, except for the last year is the only year you're able to put the protections on them. Just by the way, the contracts, the trade set up, right? And no team is going to take a protected lottery pick that then converts into seconds. Because if you're giving them Rudy Gobert, they're probably not going to be in the lottery, right? So... That is point one, but maybe they could have stopped giving out picks at some point. Maybe in 25, they could have been like, yep, that's the last one you get. The reason, only reason that I'm not super worried, at least for the foreseeable future, is you think about the team that they have. They just super maxed Cat. By all accounts, he seems to want to play there. Anthony Edwards is only through two years of his career. And this really hinges on whether he's going to become this bonafide superstar which he certainly has the pedigree to become he's the number one overall pick in his first playoff game again the first playoff series against memphis he averaged 25 a game he was dominant at times so if he's a 10-time all-star and he's a seven-time all-nba they're probably going to be very very good regardless of rudy gobert right in those formative years like the next two to three years i actually think gobert is going to help a tremendous amount in the regular season and maybe they are giving up picks in the 20s doesn't mean they have to win the title it just means they have to go like 52 and 30 right and it doesn't become that bad of a trade. The question is, and the, and the reason why I don't worry about, because really the question is like, when you give up this many picks, it's like, well, you don't know what the hell is going to happen. Any player can literally just like demand out tomorrow. We see that day after day. The only difference is with Anthony Edwards, who's really the focal point of the team. He's not even started his rookie max yet. So he's going to get the designated player max next summer. He's going to be under contract for basically six more years, including next year. And all of a sudden you have a situation where he's likely going to be the fulcrum of whatever they do for the entirety of the time that they have this go bear trade equity outstanding. Right. And so that's what gives me a little bit of hope. And then they have three guys, so they can potentially sustain an injury to one. You never know. Cause like the Clippers traded the house for Paul George and they just gave up the 12th pick to the thunder. Cause Zion, I mean, cause Kawhi tore his ACL. So you just never know what's going to happen. They're a little bit more, protected i think against injury and guys demanding out based on what they've done with cat and and edwards uh true and the other the other uh, school of thought supporting t wolf side of it is you can always get picks back lose trading away your picks you're right like those are all gone you can also trade assets back for other teams picks so it's not that they can never pick in the first round i think the the problem though is still that I like it when teams align the core players' ages. When you look at Boston, you look at kind of Marcus Smart, Brown, Tatum. You look at the Warriors and Curry, Clay, Draymond. You look at uh, the Kings with Sabonis, Fox. I mean, who knows how that turns out, but uh, Keegan Murray. It's just, it's weird where this Minnesota team, they're trying to build a core, and I get it, get to relevance immediately. Next two years, they're going to be good. But a 30-year-old Gobert with a 23-year-old Anthony Edwards and relatively young Towns, that team's got a ceiling of two years, three years maybe. And in those two, three years, is this a team good enough to get to the conference finals? No. Like, I think it's you listed all the teams in the West. And who knows, in two years, a lot of these teams can blow up. We see that things change very fast. But it's a lot to bet on. Like, they're treating these next couple of years like a championship window. When you're giving away that many picks. It's weird. That part's and, weird when Edwards is 20 years old. And so you're right. Like you, the protections make it so that you, 
you know, you can't trade multiple picks then, but three unprotected picks with um, some of the assets they gave up because they give up players. Obviously, they they have to make the contracts work, but they gave up bench depth. You know, Vanderbilt. I guess you're replacing Vanderbilt, but Beverly. It's and you don't even get off the if you got off at least the Russell contract, I would have liked it a little bit better. But you're just taking you're giving away all your draft assets and taking a 30 year old player who we know who he is by this point, and if. If anything, he can only offer potentially lower returns than he was giving in Utah. So, I think I think the timeline piece is a little overblown, generally speaking. But in this case, it's ten years apart, and I don't think Edwards is there yet. If Edwards, but maybe he 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 takes that next step. I mean, next year is year three. I would expect him to compete for an All Star spot, and if he's doing that, that means he's there. Cat is in his mid twenties. He's certainly in that window. I think the question this comes to the basketball side is how much better can they make, can Gobert make this team, especially in the regular season, such that they don't have to make the conference finals again for this to be like a, really what you're hoping for is that the picks are not a disaster. Um, And you're hoping it's not a Brooklyn Nets, Boston Celtics situation where you're giving up like top five picks over and over again. They are better protected than the Nets were with Joe Johnson, Darren Williams. That's, I think, the main point to make. But you never know what can happen in the NBA because we see a lot of teams right now where a bunch of picks are outstanding, a bunch of picks are floating around. The Lakers just gave up the number eight pick to the Pelicans. Um, Had they not won the title two years ago, this looks like an all-time bad trade for Anthony Davis, right, as of now. They happen to win the title, so it's validated. But right now you're wondering the same thing about the Paul George deal where most of those picks haven't even converted yet. Meanwhile, Kawhi and Paul George haven't played in more than you know, haven't even played in a conference finals together. So there's risk for sure. And it doesn't make sense to go all in on a guy like Gobert when you could do that. It's not like those other players are available, but the type of player you typically see this for is someone who's more two-way dominant. Well, that's I just the point. Think, yeah, I agree. It's an overpay. I just think he's going to make them good enough in the regular season that if they're giving up the 19th or the 21st or the 23rd pick, it won't be terrible. Maybe it's a couple years that it's bad, but it's not going to be like a graveyard of like, oh my God, all these superstars that could have gone to to Minnesota are going to Utah instead. And I, I understand the Minnesota predicament. I mean, the Kings are literally the same kind of, uh, the team that would do something similar with the, hey, it's successful. If we win a couple playoff series, we're 50 wins annually for the next several years. That's a win in their books, fine. But it's just, if, if you're going to grade the trade, it has to be against all the other trades we've seen in the past. And Harden is a vet. Harden's past his prime. But you can still argue that that was justified because of the potential he brings to a team. Yeah. And Paul George, you mentioned, and all these other guys. Gobert is a floor raiser. Ceil- and ceiling raiser to a certain extent, but I mean, given that their ceiling is low right now. But how high that is, and, and you listed off all the teams, man, like... Is it surprising if they finish seventh in the West? Not at all. Like I'd say they even have a 50% chance of finishing seven or below. And so think about what you paid for to get a 50% chance of finishing in the top six. And maybe yeah. that's harsh, but like the reality no, is they're I mean, just too many good teams. I don't think that it is harsh, right? Because we just named, you know, if I look at the list, there's no way I'm putting them over the Clippers or Warriors or Suns. And then you're talking about 
I'm probably not putting them over the healthy nuggets either. So then you're talking about number five at the highest for a team that just gave up five first round picks. Yeah. I get it. I, I I think there's value in having Gobert. Like from a fit standpoint, I'm not as worried about, you know, will they work on defense? Are they going to get hunted? Yes, they're probably going to get hunted to some degree. But this is the closest we've seen to that boogie-AD combo down in New Orleans, which, by the way, guess who was, the, who was one of the coaches there? Malone? Chris Finch. No, Finch. Wait, why am I saying Malone? <laughs> no. yeah. yeah. And so he has some experience working with that. And so I think they can make it work. And certainly they're going to have their struggles in the postseason. Like there's going to be times where your $40 million guy in Gobert has to sit on the bench. Right, because you're not taking Cat off the floor and you can't play two bigs against the Warriors who are going five out. So, so what do you I mean? Yeah, that, that's a problem. It's but you're going problem, against man. the Lakers, maybe you're going against the no, Nuggets. Like, what, you're no, against, and even if you're going against the Lakers, Nuggets, what team in the last three minutes of a playoff game can play a lineup of Cat and Gobert together? The Timberwolves this year, we're about to find out. Like and then and then if you if you bench Cat you're giving up offense you bench Gobert there goes any defensive like all his defensive abilities. It's going to be fascinating to watch this team. I really I'm very curious. I mean, if you had to go to like league pass rankings for next year, they're not my number one. The Clippers are my number one for very very obvious reasons. But yep. the 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 Timberwolves are probably top five because I don't know how this is going to work. And, and I think they're going to win a lot of regular season games, but it's really like what's happening in April. And does Cat become a glorified Kevin Love? He's not dam- doing damage around the post. Like, Gobert is going to camp out there. He can't do That's, anything else. That is a good point because Cat has a devastating inside-outside game. But is, are you going to take away half of that? Yeah. So I, I think I, I agree think with you. A- it's going to work to a certain extent. But the price man it's just there's value by the way in the pick and roll game that cat can't really provide the way gobert can provide like the above the rim finishing i think that's certainly going to help d'lo and edwards but then you're putting cat out in the three-point line on certain possessions you can yeah i mean he's 40 percent from deep too that's that's the versatility and the greatness of cat in his own right yeah anyway that hell of a trade i mean what do you think i mean do you think donovan mitchell Starts the year in Utah? I think so. I, if you ask, I, I don't know. This one's hard. I really think it's 50-50. I think they would like to move him, but I think Danny Ainge will... He'll wait for the right offer. I don't think they're desperate to immediately get off him at no at all costs. Yeah. So, I still say 50-50. What about you? Yeah, I think he does start there. I don't... I could see a deadline trade. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think they're going to see not there beyond the deadline. I think they're going to see what they have with him. Meaning obviously that they won't probably want to keep him, but can they recover quick enough to fit his timeline before he gets itchy? You know, dude, that seems to be a train wreck. Yeah. I mean, their, their roster is, doesn't make any sense, which makes, it shouldn't make sense after, you know, giving up, but they still have Conley. They still have Bogdanovich. They still have Clarkson. So they have this weird mix of like the old guard who are all playing to win. And now they have these like a ton but, of draft picks and like they have to kill Alexander Walker and these two guys they just got from Minnesota who are young. So it's a weird combination that I'm not sure what they're aiming to do next season. I mean, and they lost some, they lost Ingles. They lost Royce O'Neal 
and yeah, they've got another guy they traded for a pick. And they've and we already know Gobert's on and off numbers like defensively, right? They are the value in Gobert is that he kind of makes up for all their defensive uh, deficiencies, and they have a ton all across that perimeter. Like Conley's mm-hmm. not the same guy. Mitchell's no. not stopping anyone. Clarkson's so, so anyways, it, it's yeah, I, that's a situation to monitor, and that's a team that could easily plummet to the bottom, right? And all those teams we listed easily could be a lottery team. Yeah, and maybe what where Gobert can look better in the playoffs, by the way, with Minnesota than he did with Utah, if they get some semblance of perimeter defense from D, uh, not from D'Lo, sorry, from Ant and from uh, Jaden McDaniels, a little bit of support, because right, he was on an island for most of those Utah playoff runs. Yep. All right. We're going to pivot. There's just too much to talk about here. We're going to pivot to free agency. So there was um, quite a bit of activity last Thursday when we kicked off free agency. It's it, it grinded to a halt by like Friday or Saturday, really, between the KD news, which was kind of the next domino to fall, and then this Gobert trade. So we've not really seen almost anything happen since Friday. So we've been sitting on pins and needles waiting to, you know, there's just a few major free agents left to sign Deandre Ayton, James Harden, Colin Sexton, among others. But let's go through a couple superlatives here for the free agency season. Let's start with this one. What's been your favorite signing, uh, whether it's team fit price, etc. I liked Kyle Anderson going to the mm. wolves. A lot. Oh, I forgot about him in that analysis just now. Yeah, I was holding back on it because I wanted to. So two years, $18 million. Uh, I think that's a great price. Uh, not a long-term contract either, so you can kind of evaluate and see what he's worth paying. And I think Kyle Anderson's the type of archetype in the NBA that is only getting more valuable. The playmaking wing, um, not much of a score, but can kind of help glue the offense together. And I think a team like Minnesota that gets very ISO-heavy uh, between all their stars they could use a player on offense to kind of keep the, the the passing, the cutting, and that's what Kyle Anderson does. And he was a pretty vital cog when he was healthy for that Grizzlies team. So I like that signing. It's cheap. It's perfect for what they're trying to build in Minnesota. Um, and he doesn't command the ball a lot on offense, which is good for that team. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a great – that was my favorite. Yeah, I think that's a good one. The concern with me is playing him with Gobert as two non-shooters on the court at once and what that's going to look like. But, you know, he also will be great defensively for them. And I think versatile if you want to play him up at the four with the cat or Gobert or if you want to play him down at the three and go that supersized lineup. So I like that one. I'm going another sort of small, simple deal. JaVale McGee to Dallas. Three years, twenty million, just under the taxpayer mid level. I don't know. He he said he was promised to start. I don't know how they're gonna sort of solve this with Kleba, with Powell, with Wood, and now McGee. But I think McGee showed in Phoenix that with a competent point guard, uh, which they had in Chris Paul, and now he gets in Luca, he can be a devastating force in the pick and roll. I mean, when you watch the playoffs last year and the Warriors of all teams who are like one of the smallest, most notoriously bad rebounding teams were just bludgeoning the Mavericks on the glass. You knew how much they had to invest in their bigs. And to do so kind of cheaply, right? Wood was only getting paid $14 million right now. cost him basically nothing. A bunch of scrub contracts in the 26th pick. You know, JaVale is at $6 million a year. 
is this gives them a lot of versatility up front. And Luca is going to have a field day on these pick and rolls because JaVel is still one of the best screen and roll big men in the league. And if you can get, I mean, one of the reasons Phoenix didn't feel the need to pay Aiton is because they looked at McGee and said, hey, we can get 70% of that value, maybe 80% of that value for, you know, a fraction of the cost. And I think he's going to bring that same thing to Dallas. Again, it's not going to move the needle. It's not going to be the difference between, you know, two seed or the seven seed, but I think he's going to play a really valuable role for them and give them a lot of depth, especially against bigger teams and ones where they want to control the glass. So that's, that was the one that I liked the most. I like that as well. Uh, they've been trying, they've been weirdly struggling to find a good rim rolling big man. Uh, Dwight Powell's kind of limited. Willie Cauley Stein was a disaster. Since I think Tyson Javille, Chandler, really. Since yeah, and Javale McGee has, like you said, with that like Lakers, even when they were competing for the title, when they won the title in the bubble, he provided exactly that, and I think he'll be reliable, more reliable than who they've had in the past. He started for that Lakers team, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Um. So if we do least favorite, I'll let you go first on this one. Who was your least favorite signing? I'm biased. It's Bradley Beal. Five years, $251 million, coming back to the Wizards. This has been a foregone conclusion for two years, so I've mentally prepared myself for this moment. So I can speak of it in a very measured tone versus a more erratic one, which is kind of how I felt when it was announced. I mean, look, at this point, getting Beal back versus having him walk for nothing was obviously the better option. We can always turn and trade him in a year if things aren't working out, but it's a lot harder to trade him if he's making $46, 47000000 Eventually, all the way up to, I think, $57 million is going to be that final year. And he's going to be 34. He's shot worse from three every year for the last five or six seasons. He was down at career low 30% last year before he broke his wrist. He has developed a lot of bad habits over the last two, three years of just ball hogging and not really playing winning basketball. And you look at it and you're like, the biggest inefficiency in the NBA is the max contract. And when you're paying a top 30 guy, like a top five guy, and that's what the wizards are doing. That's what several other teams are forced to do. Cause they just don't want to lose their player. We're the latest to fall victim to it. We just went through this with John wall and we're finally uncovering ourselves from the chaos and the just total destruction. That was his contract. This is going to be the very next one. And while if Beal is healthy, he's obviously going to be more productive than wall was on that deal. But, you can't win a title with Bradley Beal as your best player. And right now we have no avenue to not only get a best player, we have no avenue to get a second best player. And I think Beal has to be a number three, truly, on a on a great, great team. So the Wizards are kind of running the treadmill of mediocrity. I like what they did within the context of keeping Beal, but just that fulcrum, that anchor on your roster, it's going to have ramifications for a long time. It is so funny just because of, John Wall being the poster boy of that kind of, you know, max deal where, you know, the moment you're signing it, it's like, this could go really badly yeah. and you can't predict the injury for John Wall, but it, it goes badly. And the same thing could happen here. One positive that you can kind of take away from the scenario is Beal. If he gets back to some semblance of the all NBA talent, he was, even if Washington's treading nowhere, that contract becomes movable. Like I know the numbers big, but uh, a so wing, big, dude. A, a good shooting guard, and like I'm saying, like if he plays to the extent he did a couple years ago, that still becomes a positive asset 
And so there's still an out. But it's scary because, like you said, the bad habits, the player he's been recently, and any injury, anything, you're stuck. And there's no, this team is not competing in the short term at all, given the, the current roster. So, but it's it sucks, man. I mean, I and I think for Beal, the other thing is he can also ask for a trade a year in or two two years in. Like, this is the way these guys operate now. Take I would actually money. prefer he does that because yeah. then we can get the most value since he has the most years left. Yeah, so you'd hope he does that, but you know, but it's then all bizarre. of a sudden, if he's holding you hostage for I want to only play for these teams, it could get messy. That's all I'm saying. It's really bizarre for a guy who made all NBA just a season ago, who averaged 30 points a game in back to back seasons, who's played with one franchise, the only franchise for now 10 years, for the fan base to actively root against him coming back. It would like Dame and Portland, as annoying as it is for the outside fans, they love. Dame, they he is like the the chosen one in Portland, and all they want is for him to come back and and just be there and build around him. For us, it was like Beal, please ask out, please say you value winning, please do anything that gets mm-hmm. us out of this paying this contract. We never got to that point, and and here we are. So, I I would put I would if anyone listening, I would put it up to you which player was disliked more by their franchise's fan base than Beal has been um, over the last couple of years in Washington. Um, all right. What's, what was the most surprising deal for you? No, I didn't go to, I didn't give you my least favorite. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Beal felt like two answers. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like that one to be fair, but my least favorite was Marvin Bagley. Three uh... years, 37 million. And I don't know what who they were bidding against. Like Marvin Bagley was, first of all, I completely agree. Put in a bad situation in Sacramento. That's not the kind of franchise that's great for player development. I also think Bagley didn't do himself any favors with the injuries, even the way he kind of focused on his craft and where he wanted to improve. But the weird thing is he went to Detroit. He had a good stretch towards the end of the season. And everyone is acting like he's kind of re- found himself rejuvenated in Detroit when he was essentially putting up the same stats he did in Sacramento, his rookie season. Very identical to his time in Detroit. Slightly higher shooting percentage. 15-7 type guy. No mm-hmm. defense or very little defense. And I think for them to give a three-year $37 million deal, like he's the kind of player who should get a one-year prove-it deal and then secure a long-term contract once he's really established his reputation. I'm surprised Detroit is already tying up money in Marvin Bagley, a guy who I'm not confident is that good to begin with. So so the next category was uh, most surprising, right? So I'm going to have to change my answer because mine was Marvin Bagley. So we'll just talk about it here. Yep. And the reason I didn't put it in the least favorite because I was just generally perplexed. It was the definition of most surprising because I just didn't understand kind of what was going on and what was the rationale Detroit's doing some weird things this off season. Um, I thought they had a great draft, right? They got Jaden Ivy at five and then they got, they traded back in and got Jalen Duran at 11 or 12, pretty much took them out of the uh, Deandre Ayton sweepstakes. And since then, here are the players that they've spent their cap space on Kevin Knox, Kemba Walker, Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, and Marvin Bagley. 
And oh, by the way, they re-signed Kelly Olenek. What are they? What's like the plan, or what are they trying to do? Are they just trying to put like, just test a bunch of people next to Cade and see what sticks? Is that kind of the overall goal here? It it after the draft, it felt like they had a very clear plan, and those signings are made it feel like they're throwing money at a lot of guys who have a very very capped ceiling. So I was not a fan. I not a fan of those moves, especially as you read the names. It's kind of like, okay, which one of these guys is actually going to move the needle? It's worth building, uh, you know, as part of your core. And and yeah, Bagley, I get it, man. I get the why he's and and it's very easy to say the Kings break everyone, so why not pay him and see what he can do? He showed some promise, but that's money. That three or thirty seven is not a big deal, but it's cap space that could have gone so many other places and so many other free agents that I would have rather signed. Yeah, I didn't like that one at all, and I just I don't I don't understand. But I think Bagley's got talent, but like you said, it's like empty calories and it's the same numbers. It's he's gonna have games, you know, where he has twenty seven points and thirteen rebounds, and then he's gonna have games where he's eight points, six rebounds, and just getting abused on defense, right? So, yep. What was your most surprising? So mine was Bagley. What was yours? Dante Divincenzo. Um, okay. And in the sense that the Kings it was surprising, the Kings didn't. Uh, give him the qualifying offer, which was six point six million. You know, not a bad price. Obviously, they then have the right to refusal with any other team that tries to sign him. But we just declined it, and he became an unrestricted free agent. So that was surprising in itself. It was more surprising he signed with the Warriors on a very, very team friendly deal, uh, like the opposite of what Bagley is. And this is he signed for two years and nine million. And I think he's the kind of player he has his flaws. He's been injured the last couple of years, but he will fit so perfectly in that Warriors team, given the the pretty good three point shooting, the defensive uh abilities at the guard position. He can kind of replace what Gary Payton was giving them at an extremely, extremely discounted rate. So surprising in the sense that I thought he'd command more if he went to the open market, surprising because the Kings didn't extend an offer and surprising that the Warriors were able to get him. So I agree. I mean, just a year and a half ago, really in the Bucks title run, he was considered like a key loss and potentially a reason they weren't going to be able to make that run. Right. That they were like, well, we're missing to Vincenzo. And now all of a sudden after one kind of uneven year in Sacramento, which is a tough situation to be in with so many guards, it's like, Oh, by the way, he's out. And, to prove it year, and he certainly is going to play in a system where he's going to get a lot of open threes, um, replicate some Kevin Herter money maybe after that, uh, not to typecast too much there, but I think ultimately that's that's probably probably what he's hoping for, to just reclaim his shooting touch and also his, like, what people thought he could be um, in that context. All right, last one quickly before we got to run. Who's got the most to live up to? This is the boring answer, but it's um, it's Jalen Brunson, I think, and it's not because uh, the the money is is a lot, but I think just because it's the New York Knicks and they're seriously hurting for someone, they're looking for someone to kind of carry the torch for that franchise. And Brunson, as he's going to be good for them, he's going to be solid. Don't think he's that guy. 
And I think there's just going to be a massive set of expectations placed on him from day one. And it's going to be hard to deliver against that. So kind of the obvious answer, but I go with Brunson. Yeah, not just the money, just a big responsibility to carry. And, uh, and, and I think that's ultimately going to be tough for him to, to, to play into. But I don't think the contract's going to be that bad. I mean, we're talking about guys making $50 million a year. I think half of that is okay for a, you know above-average point guard. Absolutely. Mine is, mine is Zion. $231 million potentially if he makes All-NBA next year. Um, you know, this is a guy who has played a grand total of what, 85 games in his career across three seasons. And so for him to be given that max contract, I don't think that there's many injury stipulations. I haven't seen them yet. So it's possible it's, it's incentive laden, but a lot of pressure on him, not just to be healthy, but to be in shape too. That's a good one. That's, that's going to be interesting to see how his career unfolds uh, because we've, we've seen the, the flashes, but. Yep. That's a lot of money. All right, so let's see how this all f- plays out with KD. I'm sure we're going to we're going to be back just kind of breaking it all down if anything happens. Otherwise, um we deserve a much, you know, much much needed summer vacation here from the NBA before uh the NFL starts back up. Commanders locked up Terry McLaurin probably coming from the NFC East crown very shortly. So Anything else? Any other reflections on on yet another wild uh, summer of activity? Let's see what happens, man. The next week could shake things up again with KD, Kyrie. Who knows? It's the NBA never sleeps, so never does. Can't wait to see what's next. All right, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week. Peace.